0: Hey folks, my guest on the show today is Lauren Patterson. Lauren's a 30-year-old solo mother of two. She's a personal trainer, mindset coach, and mental health speaker. Now, as you'll hear on the interview, uh, Lauren shares very openly about her own journey into mental health. She suffered with anxiety and severe depression from a very young age and has found a way through and now in her work uh, helps women especially Uh, through their toughest life struggles uh, by being honest and living a balanced lifestyle. So Lauren has some really fantastic insights to share today. I'm sure you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I did.
1: Hey folks, you're on the Insecurity Project with Jamin. Today I have the great pleasure of interviewing Lauren Patterson. Lauren, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here.
2: And thank you for having me.
1: Well, this is a real treat. I've been following you on Instagram for some time and really value the way that you share so openly from your life and not just the great bits the the struggles and the challenges and you keep it so real and it's just so refreshing watching someone being willing to do that so uh i'm I'm sure you'll have lots of really interesting things to say around this subject of insecurity so um let's dive straight in where i take all my guests first and and back to your childhood uh I'm, i'm always fascinated by the kind of the forces that shaped the person and, and the particular challenges they had to overcome. So can you yep. tell us a bit about what it was like being a child in your family and specifically the role your parents played in helping you establish self-esteem and, and kind of confidence as you grew up?
2: Well, I am oldest of three girls and okay. grew up in country Victoria. So my upbringing was very simple, very relaxed, Uh, I'm from the type of place where you could ride your bikes around the streets from a young age and your parents not have to worry about it. Uh, I was academic, I was sporty and I think pretty much everything I did revolved around sport as a kid. And it, I, I had an amazing upbringing. My parents are awesome. My dad and my mum worked, super hard uh, because we lived in the country. Dad traveled a lot to the other side of Melbourne. So he was traveling six hours there and back a day and just so he could see us kids at the end of the day. And uh, yeah, mum had a a good job that she loved and yeah, it was a very, very small town. So when, you know, mum was at work, I just looked after my sisters and played a lot of sport and, Really, it was just. I, I honestly have no qualms about it. Like we were just, it's just simple. and Until we moved to Brisbane, and the city life is a lot different.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure. How old were you when you moved to the city?
2: I was twelve, and I started high school up here. Yeah,
1: right. And and tell us about the impact that had. What what changed?
2: Uh, well, as a very sporty, uh, I'd like to call myself a tomboy at that stage. My folks put me into an all-girls school to try and girly me up, I guess. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I mean, my thing is I just wanted to play sports. So I was in a new city, a brand new school around a bunch of girls that I had no idea who they were. And I really just had no choice but to walk up to a table and be like, hi, I'm Lauren and I'm from Victoria. I don't know anyone. And that was pretty much how I made all my mates. And because we were such a small uh, grade, I had the same mates all throughout school. So it definitely opened my eyes to a lot of other things. Um, Being in the city is so much different to being in the country where I was from and just the girls were different and I was used to hanging out with boys and playing AFL and and it was just a culture shock I guess and yeah, I, I grew into it and I had a lot of fun and continued with my sport living in Queensland and my music. And then, um, yeah, obviously anyone that gets a little bit older starts getting a little bit more interested in boys rather than sports. So that's pretty much where my future led me at that stage.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, you share pretty openly uh, around some pretty tough stuff, specifically around boys, Um, Mm -hmm. depression, (laughs) anxiety, toxic relationships, are uh, mm-hmm. you willing to share a bit about that and the impact that had on your whole sense of self at, at a pretty young age?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, I I had boyfriends throughout high school, and obviously it was just nice and simple as everyone does when they're in high school. I met a guy when I was 16 who I started dating, and obviously didn't go to my school because I was at all girls. Mm. Uh, but I was just infatuated with this guy he was the popular one he was good looking he played sport he just was everything that any girl kind of wanted that age and it just turned very nasty very quickly and um, just from there on in I developed depression within a couple of months I started skipping school because I had my license it was easier to just not go and not tell mum and dad I was just a a different version of myself. And I just remember being so sad and the outgoing Lauren just disappeared. And I just, I had no idea that it was being caused by that one person. Cause when you just head over heels for someone or you think you are, you don't realize that you're losing yourself as a person. And the, the toxic nature of the relationship just blinded me completely because it was an experience that I'd never had before. And I hear yeah, well. a lot of the the, uh, the violent things I didn't tell Mum and Dad about. So even though I was suffering the consequences of all these things happening to me, I was keeping it, it, it to myself because I didn't think that anyone would believe me, and I didn't want to get anyone in trouble. So, yeah, it was it was a very dark time. It was very scary, and I it got to the point where I had to leave school maybe a month earlier than graduating, purely because I just couldn't handle everything at once and I just wanted to escape.
1: Yeah, well, so your parents kind of didn't really know the the full extent of the pain that you're in and just you were able to
2: they knew that Lauren wasn't there. They knew that Lauren was different and they, you know, I'd obviously been diagnosed with severe depression and anxiety and I'd never had that before or shown any signs of it. And I was spending all my time with this guy and, you know, my parents were never the type to ground us, but they never had a reason to. However, when they did try grounding me, I ran away and I just kept running away and Mm. they knew that something wasn't right they just didn't know the physical violence that was going on. They could definitely see that there was some sort of manipulation there, but they didn't know about the physical side of it, which I, I only told them after it, it all ended, what actually went on. So my parents punished themselves relentlessly for a while because they didn't know what exactly was going on. However, mm. it's just the skill of a teenager to be able to hide that type of thing, I think. Yeah,
1: yeah, sure. Well, I think I mean, it must be interesting for your parents kind of being country folk and you being happy and well-adjusted mm-hmm. and moving to the city and just assuming everything's going to be okay and really not knowing, you know, probably every parent feels ill-equipped to deal with the challenges that their kids go through because um, they're they're different from their own challenges as, as uh, yeah. times change. So it must have been a challenging time for them. Um, so, yeah. uh, you know, when you when you reflect back on that time now, how do you kind of understand it from a mental health perspective and, you know, some of the inner dialogue that was going on for you around who you were and, uh, you know, what your worth was? Like, is insecurity a, a word that you used to understand some of that time or, uh, you know, how do, how do you understand it now?
2: Oh, gosh! I look back, and I can still remember every second of that relationship, and it was absolute insecurity at its finest, and mm-hmm. you know just feeling insecure about other girls being around, being insecure that no one else would love me like he did, and that I'd never find anyone again and here's me at seventeen for God's sake, and yeah, well just. You know, you have body issues, you think you're not good enough, and it, just everything revolved around this one person. And for that to happen, that's all you can put it down to is insecurity because my life was perfectly fine before he came into it, and I just mm. had no idea that it was going to be fine when he left. So it was all about building that strength uh, to escape it, essentially, and it did take a lot to get there. However, you know, unless you've been in a, a toxic relationship You don't understand how hard it is to leave And it's mainly based out of fear Which der- is derived from insecurity So,
1: yeah, it's, yeah, entirely. it's a good player <laughs> Wow well, um, Do you mind telling us a bit about, you know How you did work through that situation And the things you learned about yourself uh, Through that painful process And how you came out the other side
2: Well, when I left school, my parents knew that I wanted to get into the the fitness industry and we found a personal training course that I was able to begin immediately. And for us, I'd cut most of the contact from this person and my parents were confident that being in this environment and something that I enjoyed and loved would just, I guess, cut the tether completely. And I was in a class full of people that were much older than me. So I had to grow up a little bit quicker. I had, I guess, more of a uni schedule. I, had, I still had assignments and I had to be in class for five days a week. So I had that focus. However, you know, still in the back of my mind was all this fear that something would happen. And it was just one day when I opened up. I'd opened up to my parents at that stage and I opened up to a couple of my classmates as well because there would be times where I was breaking into an anxiety attack just in front of everyone. And um, yeah, I just explained to them one day what was going on and they they gave all of them collectively gave me the strength to just call that person up and tell them that I just could never do it again. And there mm. was backlash and I expected that. However, yeah, it was the end for me, I just felt like a weight was lifted off of my shoulders. And when I made that phone call, I wasn't by myself. I, I walked back into the college and I was surrounded by 40-odd people in my class that knew what I'd just done. So it was I felt a lot of support at that stage once I opened up.
1: Yeah, that's a really beautiful experience to have those people there for you at such a vulnerable mm-hmm. time. Yeah, it helped. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, thank you for sharing. So, uh, you know, as you got yourself free from that relationship, obviously, you know, the the heart of insecurity is feeling like there's something lacking or missing from you internally. And so the pattern is always around looking for external to fill it. And and people do that to varying levels of success. Like you can, you can jam your life through so much stuff that kind of crowds out the pain and the fear and the insecurity and looks like you're going fine until it all comes crumbling down or something gets taken away from you or there's something, you know, that that just doesn't quite work out. So, you know, ultimately, your journey of of health and moving to to where you are now, um, you know, there had to be some internal work that was happening at the same time, obviously, so can you tell us a bit about what you understood about the process of really being able to be confident and relaxed in who you were as yourself without anyone or anything outside of you and that kind of internal work. Can you tell us a bit about that process for you?
2: Well, for so the next five years after that I went I was in and out of hospital from internalizing a lot of the pain that I was feeling and oh, wow. just like you said, that hole. So I filled that hole at that stage and for the next four or five years, I filled it with partying. Uh, I would overdose regularly. I couldn't hold a job because I was crippled with anxiety and de- uh, depression. Wow. I lost a lot of friends. I was hospitalized voluntari- uh, voluntarily and involuntarily. Uh I also tried to, I attempted to take my own life multiple times as well. So that's what my next few years was filled with. And it turned into an eating disorder when I started to feel a bit better. It was me trying to find that control of my emotions and what I was, what I didn't know was missing from me. And I couldn't work out what was missing. And then I fell pregnant. So (laughs) uh, I, 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 I mean, instantly that hole was filled with another life and I, you know, I have to be very careful when I talk about my story because, because my hole that I didn't know what it needed to be filled with, was obviously my daughter at that stage, I don't like recommending to fall pregnant when you're feeling lost.
1: Um, Yeah, 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 sure. (laughs) yeah,
2: Yeah, but that's, you know, that's what fate had in store for me and I had my daughter and there was just a reason for me to change everything and work out who Lauren was again, because I had this little person that was looking up to me. So it was out of lack of choice at that stage. However, I think that's just what I needed.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, And now you have two children.
2: I do.
1: So parenting is obviously a massive part of your world at the moment. Uh, and And doing it on your own, so that that whole desire to live a good life and to be a good example for your kids is that still an important part of how uh, what you know what keeps you focused and and living well?
2: Oh gosh, it's my absolute why every single day and even though they're not here uh, a few days a week, they're with their dad, I have that time to be able to work towards what I ultimately want to do with my life. However, the underlying why is always them. It's to provide a a roof over their heads, to put clothes on their backs, to make sure the fridge is full of food. And I never really... I grew up as a a person that I I guess to an extent I was a little bit spoiled. However, with the kids, I, I never wanted to be that parent that they went hey, mum, can we go to the movies or can we go to the beach? And I just never wanted to be that parent to say, no, I can't afford that. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, and sure.
2: Because I never grew up with that. And, you know, it's, it's tough doing it alone. However, I never sit there and whinge about it or give myself too much pity because that's not going to pay my bills. So the... That having a photo of them next to my computer when you know I get so stressed that it's like, why am I even doing this? Why don't I just throw in the towel and work for someone else? And yeah. that's just not what I want to do. And I want them to grow up seeing, no matter how life hard, uh, how matter, no matter how hard life can get, you can work through it if you've got the right mindset. And I'm just very lucky, even though I've been through a lot of stuff, I've managed to be able to talk to myself very powerfully.
1: So. Yeah, nice. That, that's really cool. So, can you tell us a bit about that talking to yourself powerfully? Because obviously, in in the role that you have now, there's a lot of people who watch what you do, and you have a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of influence, and a lot of people going through tough times. Uh, you know, take courage and strength from your journey. So, you just said you, you're not your recommended recommendation is not all right. Go and have a have some kids, and that'll solve all the problems. Yeah. So, what you know, <laughs> what is your advice in terms of uh, solving the insecurity problem for others and helping them find themselves and connect with purpose. And w- what is it that you think makes a difference for people to sort out some of the mess in their head and gain some clarity around who they are and what they're doing?
2: It's. I mean, it's taken so many years to get where I am. However, like to this day, I I confidently still say I still suffer from depression, and I always yeah, call wow. it the you know the dormant volcano it just takes something for it to set it off and over the years I have just had to learn how to talk to myself so I can cope with the voices that go through my head sometimes and I still have low moments where something in my head will say you're just not worth it it's way too hard and they do say some pretty nasty things and I have to combat that with there's two little children there that need you and will need you for the rest of their life. And it's about making the most of life. And as someone that's attempted to take their own life, I know how much it affects everyone else around me. And there's a massive drive for me to make my parents proud and my family proud and to see me change my life from what it was. So more often than not, when I am feeling like I'm hopeless or nothing I'm doing is working or I'm not helping anyone. I just think back to when my life really was at its worst and go, you know what, Lauren, you've actually come so far. Why give up now? And it's a matter of taking something that stresses you out and then working out the best way possible to make that into a positive. And There's so many ways to do that. I I also meditate as a way to gain clarity on those voices and those negative things that run through my head. And that's always my first go-to when I'm trying to explain to someone who's got that many things running around in their mind. You need to stop, even if you write down every single one, and then you just work out a plan of action. Um, Because I've learned sitting and stewing just does nothing but cause anxiety. And I mean, anxiety can take away an entire day of your life if you let it yeah, or wish your life it's yeah. It's taking something that would stress a normal person out and going, "Okay, well, what can I learn from this and I mean, for an example, as a solo parent, more often than not, it's okay, how am I going to pay the rent this week
1: yeah. and
2: rather than sitting there and you know rolling back and forth on the lounging floor in a ball. Okay, pick yourself up. How are we going to make this money? We've got to pay it. So it's taking the things that really, really bugger with your head and making a plan of action to get yourself out of it. So the next time that that happens or that voice starts to talk to you, you know how to cope with it. That's generally Mm -hmm. what I do on a daily basis.
1: Yeah, sure, and it's kind of a metaphor for probably similar what you do in helping people with health and fitness because, you know, resistance is actually an essential part of getting stronger. Mm -hmm. So you need something to fight against. You need something that's difficult and hard, and the harder it is and the more you push against it, the stronger you become. uh, Absolutely. You know, if you're lifting air, well, then the muscle isn't getting strengthened. You get strong muscles by them being broken down, in the process mm-hmm. of lifting heavy weights. So just what yeah. you described there in the mental health space, just going, okay, there's some hard stuff. There's some really hard mm-hmm. stuff and the ability to face it, not run away from it, um, make a plan to deal with it, keep keep showing up and, and do it all again the next day. It, it has to build resilience and strength because you teach yourself you're stronger than you think. You come out the other mm-hmm. side and you, you're still there. And so yeah. it's probably very similar to the, the physical health and strength.
2: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Uh, do, do you recommend any books? Are there some books that you fa- have found particularly useful in, in this space around self-esteem, confidence, insecurity uh, that you recommend for other people?
2: Absolutely. I have a few favorites. Yeah. I love Mastering Your Mean Girl. Uh, it's Mastering Your year. Mean Girl? Yes. Yeah, that was probably the first book I read when I started my uh but I guess personal development journey and being able to learn how to talk to myself. That yep. was the first book I ever read. And that just started a whole new thing of reading for me. Uh, the next book that I absolutely loved was the miracle morning. Uh, yeah. It was about, you know, so often as a trainer you hear, I don't have time. And I mean, people make that excuse for everything. And this book just, highlights that if you just get up 45 minutes to an hour earlier a day, you can achieve incredible things in that hour. And it just sets the path for your day. And I loved it. Love that book. Um, yep. Another book after that was The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Um, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, which, great
2: book. Which, you know what? After I read it straight after reading The Miracle Morning, and it was kind of a complete contradiction in a way. It was funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I just absolutely loved how I read two books that went straight against each other, but I still managed to get so much out of both of them and they were written in completely different ways and its um, I did never read a book just once. I always read it two, three times because you always miss something and those are the three books that really have changed a lot when it comes to my mindset.
1: Mm, fantastic. That's, that's great. I haven't read uh, Mastering Your Mean Girl, but I have read the other two and, and yeah, I think that they were, they made outstanding contributions to my life as well. So mm-hmm. Massive fan of books and I'm super grateful for people to put quality stuff out there and being an author oh, yeah. myself. It's just the, the, how difficult it is to put together something. I always greatly value it when, you know, someone's gone to all the effort of uh, condensing and uh, you know, putting out some stuff that's really useful. So,
2: oh yeah, books are great. And there's always so many books out there that I haven't read yet. I love hearing about new books, and I I've, I've probably got a bunch that I haven't even read yet, but I still
1: keep buying. Yeah, I'm just I can see the pile of books beside my bed at the moment. It just <laughs> it's a, ta- a tower that never. It's incredible as always. (laughs) I just see another book, oh, I'm going to need that under the pile. Yeah. (laughs) But just, I find great value in even just looking at the title of books. Like just, because there's even so much often in, in a title and the name of a book, it kind of captures so much. And just to be able to glance at that and just know that there's something really beautiful and valuable about that idea. I find that Mm -hmm. useful. So just surrounding myself with books, I can always see books in my house. And the books that I've read, just to be able to look at their cover, and and it's an anchor into some some key learning or a really important lesson that I learned at a key time. Yeah. I love it. Um, (laughs) Cool, anything else? eh, Sorry?
2: I get the same feeling from books. I always thought thought it was me, and I never really explained it to anyone because I get that book. So... (laughs)
1: Yeah, uh, it's, it's great. Um, cool. Is there anything else you think that we've missed in, in terms of stuff that if people are, are doing it tough in, in their confidence, and their mental health, if they're not sure that they've got the strength to make it in a kind of swamp with anxiety, depression, all caused by this sea of insecurity, is there anything else that you think we haven't discussed so far that would be useful to touch on before we wrap it up?
2: The biggest tool for anyone that's struggling and and as a I speak for a company called Livent, they're a non-for-profit mental health organisation and the biggest thing that we highlight is to speak out and that it's not weak to speak and I yeah. think so often because of stigma and insecurity, that's the reason that people don't reach out and suffering in silence is never going to solve anything and I personally know that from my own experiences so I'm not afraid out to reach out these days and there are so many people out there that are equipped to sit there and listen and help and even just talking to a mate, just being a mate that's ready to talk to someone, it's not hard to listen to someone. You don't need to be a doctor or a psychologist to sit and listen to a mate who's struggling. So it's about overcoming that that stigma and realising that, you could feel so much more lighter and like a little bit of relief just if you talked to someone. It's it's not going to hurt you and it's definitely going to help. And that's the biggest thing that I always say to people who are struggling is talking is pretty much your first step and then you open yourself up to a world that you probably
1: didn't think possible afterwards. That's so good. And I, I agree there is massive stigma um, and I think it's just this Constant fear that evolves in people's minds, and this idea that they're the only ones struggling like they are, and their their problems are complicated and unique, and so mm-hmm. they just cope with it internally. But yeah, I think you're right. It's just there's just it's never going to be a bad thing to talk about it, and and I think generally it would be it would be so rare if someone came to you and shared something they're struggling with that the response would be negative and judgmental. Like mm-hmm. people are honoured. To be, to be given the opportunity to be uh, given that information and to be invited to be useful. So I think and you're right. It's actually always going to be useful and always going to be better than you think. So mm-hmm. speak out. I love it. That's a that's a great message to be sharing with people. And yeah uh, definitely always a, always I a way to start solving daily. this problem. Sorry, I cut you off there. No, that's all
2: right. It's just a message I send daily. It's... It's the biggest yeah. thing, that, and it's free to speak. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. it's something that could help a lot of people. Mm.
1: Uh, that's excellent. That's very helpful. Uh, so where can people find you? Where do you hang out online? If people have heard this conversation, want to understand more about who you are and what you do, where's the best place to send them?
2: I have my Instagram, which is probably the biggest way that I talk to people, and that's with three underscores, Lauren Kate. And then my other resource that I add more and more to every single week is my blog, and that's www.madmaxmum.com.
1: Excellent. Make sure those links are in the show notes so that people can find you easily. Thank you. Uh, Excellent, Lauren. It's been a real pleasure to interview you, and I'm grateful for this opportunity to have this conversation. It's uh, such an important subject. And so useful to be able to... uh, you know, give people a safe space to think about these subjects. So to hear someone's real-life journey and how they've actually gone through some pretty tough times and come out the other side, it's very encouraging and inspiring to others. So I'm grateful for that opportunity. So thank you very much.
2: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: I hope you really enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Uh, For those of you who've been following my work for a while, uh, I've put out the seven essential practices for overcoming insecurity. Uh, I'm convinced that insecurity can be overcome and not just masked, managed or avoided. Uh, But I think people who throughout time have found a way to show up to life unhindered, have done so a certain way. There are keys that each of them have used, and so my work has been to compile these ideas and and make sense of the stuff that's worked and and deconstruct key ideas so they can be used and reproduced. So, look, that's available on my website. Um, I'm particularly interested in having conversations about overcoming insecurity for entrepreneurs, and even more particularly 35- to 40-year-old entrepreneurs I just think entrepreneurs have got skin in the game. They have such a desperate need to solve this problem because it's all them showing up in the world solving problems. So it's good for the world to have entrepreneurs uh, at their best where it matters most. So if that's you, uh, love to have a conversation. Jump on my website, have a look at the seven essential practices and take the online assessment just to see how you measure up against these seven practices and how well you're doing. And uh, I'd love love to have a conversation with you if you think it could be helpful. I'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to The Insecurity Project. I hope you found the content and conversations useful. And remember, you are not just the actor in the story, you are the storyteller. You have the ability to turn this all around. For more information about overcoming insecurity, check out theinsecurityproject.com.